630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Okay, appreciate you tuning in tonight. Canadians and Flames about to get underway in Calgary. Second period, Predators up 1-0 on the Blackhawks. About seven minutes into the third, Rangers lead the Flyers 2-1. Early in the third, Buffalo having a good night, leading Boston 4-1 and 13 minutes. Though I did that game already. I was about to give you the same score twice. Oh, well. Uh, Wild and Kings will face off in about an hour. Blue Jays lead Tampa 5-3. That is now in the sixth inning. Oil Kings will play tomorrow. The Oilers play Monday and Wednesday in Winnipeg. Both games will have a 5-30 face-off show and a 7 o'clock puck drop here on 6.30. Chet, Oscar Clefbaum spoke to the media today. He said he uh, does not know when he's going to be able to come back and play hockey. Optimistic that he can, but still a lot to figure out. Really good chat with John Scott. I always love having him on the show because he's entertaining and he's informative and he's opinionated. Luke says, I agree with John Scott. The Oilers need someone to protect our stars. The refs let too much go, but whoever that is has to be a Bob Probert or Lucic type that can produce points. Also, Saminko was very good at both with the ice time he got. That is uh, from Luke. Brian says, I'm really liking this interview with John Scott. I don't think we've heard him on here before. Definitely going to check out his podcast. Well, thanks for that, Brian. He's uh, John's probably been on the show once or twice a year for the last few years. Uh, so sorry you missed him the other times, but he's fun. He's fun to talk to. Actually, I was uh, looking through because I just texted John uh, a thanks for coming on and kind of a, a sad reminder. He was uh, supposed to be on the air the day, unfortunately, that Joey Moss uh, passed away. So we uh, rescheduled that uh, that interview because obviously we did a full show remembering Joey. Keith says, uh, hey, guys, I hope all is well. I do believe that Dominic Cahoon may be successful on the top line with his vision and willingness to go get pucks. I wonder if we could get a guy like Philip Forsberg in the future. Oh. I, I like Philip Forsberg a lot. I think he has another year in his contract after this at $6 million. And Keefe also says, I think Kulikov is a gritty, mean, tough player, will be a fan favorite. Wait for the open ice hits. That is for Keefe texting in 780-496-0063. That's also the number to call the hotline presented by CertainTeed Professional Grade Building Materials. So, yeah, Kulikov practiced today. Clefbaum with a bit of an uncertain future here. Kara was on the ice for part of practice. Then he left. He is not cleared for contact. More information on Cassian tomorrow. But Dave Tippett said it looks like Cassian's going to be out a little while. Ryan McLeod close to practicing. Uh, likely Sunday he's going to be on the ice. Tippett with the plan for the young McLeod. I talked to him for a while yesterday. He's... Uh sitting in a hotel room for a week so but he just came off playing six games and nine nights so he probably the first couple of days he probably needed a rest and then uh, he's trying to do a little bike and some stuff there in his hotel room but we'll have to see where he is on sunday uh, he'll practice with us on sunday before we leave to go to uh, to winnipeg and we'll just we'll see where he's at but we'd like to get him in the lineup uh, he was playing very well down there we'd like to have a look at him but we want to make sure that he's up and running again before we put him in there okay yeah i'm looking forward to seeing uh, mcleod in action for sure I, I want to uh just get this piece of audio in here as well christopher steeg who we've had on the show a few times he was on oilers now with bob stoffer earlier today that shows on noon to two weekdays on 6 30 jet and versteeg had this to say about star players taking abuse in the nhl 
first off, our approach allows the C player play up to the A level, A player's level of play. That should not be the case. If you're given a God-given talent or you have this uh, ability that nobody else has, but other players are going outside the rule book in order to keep you tempered down, that's not right. You need to, These players need to be on full display. The NBA puts those top players on full display because if you're going to chop LeBron James, he's going to go to the line. If in the NFL you're going to hit Brady in the head, then you're going to get kicked out of the game because of a helmet-to-helmet contact in the NFL. In the NHL, if you hit Connor McDavid when he's without the puck from behind, what happens? It's almost like, well, I went through the hard times back in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s that these players still have to go through them now. Well, why? Why is that the case? You should be protecting these players now. It should not be the case at all. Just because you went through it in your day doesn't mean it's okay to go through it today. So this is what I'm getting to is if we would first off get rid of all the slashing and the interference, number one, and hitting to the head, those two, basically two things combined, that would drive up the level of skill. More players would put on more of a show each and every night because they'd be more protected. And I think it would make the fan base even larger. I actually, I believe I know I feel it would make the fan base larger just because it would gravitate more eyeballs to the screen because we see what Connor McDavid's skill is and that's that I honestly would say at 70% just because he's constantly being interfered. He's constantly being slashed. He's being targeted without the puck. Could you imagine like LeBron James? I know he gets targeted, but could you imagine the interfering and the, and the hacking and whacking you'd have to take if you were him and then he, was a lot, he, he couldn't put on a show like he does every night. So this is what Connor goes through on a nightly basis it's why superstars bodies wear down faster than any other bodies because of the abuse they take year after year and it's the other leagues have it right i'm not saying that i don't want competition i want battling in front of the net i still want contact i still want guys to play with in super like high passionate levels of the game but when it comes to protecting people and protecting the players and allowing their skills to fully flourish not at 70 percent not at 80 percent that's what i'm getting to and that's again, would drive up revenues even more of the league, and it also put it more on display for the world to see it, how actually great these guys are. That is a little bit from Christopher Stieg earlier today with Stoff. Quick timeout here inside Sports on Chet. Canadians Flames, four minutes in, no score. We'll keep you updated there. Also have an update on the Canadian Elite Basketball League, which features the Edmonton Stingers, the defending champs in that league. The CEO and commissioner of the CEBL is Mike Morreale. Mike, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Doing well, thank you. How are you guys doing? Well, we're doing very well. It's great to have you on the show. I always enjoy chatting with you, and I always enjoy chatting about the CEBL because I'm really impressed with what you guys have been able to do in your short history, and you were able to to do something last year in a difficult year in which some leagues weren't able to finish or even get seasons going. So, so credit to you guys for that. And, uh, you know, you, you've had to make some adjustments uh, with this year. So tell us about the, the season being sort of moved back, uh, why that decision was made and how it's going to work. Yeah. So we had made a couple of adjustments even, you know, before we announced our, our, you know, 
present season uh, before it got changed now to June 24th. We had delayed it usually from a uh, beginning of May start to a beginning of June start. And then with the rise of, rise of cases, especially in Ontario, and the fact we have four of our teams are, are based here, um, and you know the interprovincial travel issues that were restrictions that were coming aboard, we just looked at the situation and said, we can buy more time, let's do it, um, without changing you know, how many games we're gonna play or changing the end date. We, we are a bit restricted, unlike other leagues, where we need to finish by about that third or fourth week of August because our players are all professionals that play all over the world. So out of respect for their other seasons, we, we have to fit that window. So we can only delay so much, and we can only you know uh, condense the season to a point, we gotta make sure it's, it's safe and healthy to do so. So yeah, we're starting on June 24th, we're gonna go to uh, quarterfinals uh, up on the 15th and 14th of August. So we're gonna have almost a, a three month window uh, or a couple month window to fit everything in. And, you know, it, just with everything going on, the more precautions we can take, the better. We, we have identified that fans aren't uh, part of the plan. So, and what I mean by that, we always want, we want fans in the building, but we don't want to make that conditional on returning to play. Our return to play is based off of all the investments we made in the league and where the future of this league is going and what the players need to be successful and to be motivated mentally and physically and financially healthy. So all those make us better. Um, so it's, we bite the bullet and we do it and we hope that fans can come. Well, and I hope they can too, but I, I do find it interesting that you're, proceeding without that condition because I've had heard from so many leagues who aren't, you know, the NHL, the NFL, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, who have said like, we got to have fans, you know, the Western hockey league would have loved to have fans, HHL, they've played games, but they're saying like, so how, how are you guys going to make it work without that revenue from fans? I, I think it's just, you know, fundamentally how we approach things now, we're different from a business model per, uh, perspective than most other leagues. You know, we're a centrally organized and owned league. So we're a little bit more mobile and nimble. We're quicker with decisions because, you know, there's less people we have to get to agree, let's say. So that helps us in terms of being kind of uh, reactive. Um, and, but we're, we're also very proactive and we realize that, you know, going into our third year, had it been normal times, we would still be making investments into the league. We, we felt that over the first three or four years, the league needed to be uh, have, have cash flow, have money invested to really have it grow successfully to create the foundation. So that hasn't changed with COVID. What's changed is lack of revenue. Uh, so it's meant that we've had to dig into our own pockets more than we would have intended to, but the thought is still the same. So, um, we have a future that is incredibly bright. Uh, we're not saddled with, let's say, existing baggage that comes with being an established league. So, you know, when that stops, you like fall off a cliff. For us, we're still on the growth stage. So we're not falling off any cliffs yet. We're just creating a few hiccups along the way. But the, you know, the the future's so bright. Okay. And, and for this season, uh, full travel, like no hubs or neutral site games or anything like that? That's the intention. That's always been the intention. Um, you know, we, we are blessed uh, with the fact that we have very small travel parties. We're talking about 14 people in total. So our risks come down with that. You know, I, I would say you can probably fit five of our teams under what, how many people you'd have to travel in one CFL team, right? Just based on how our game is and the smaller roster sizes, et cetera. We also have less uh, international players. So only about 30% or maybe three to four guys per team. So that changes the di dynamics a bit of getting 
sending people over the border and all that kind of stuff. But the interprovincial travel was one of the reasons why we, we took a pause again, because obviously there's a lot of talk about, about that and restricting movement. So we want to respect that. Uh, but we also know that um, we're going to be in a safe position where you have all the protocols in place and all the, the testing and, and everything you can imagine um, ready and prepared within our protocols to, to be able to conduct uh, a season successfully with travel. And we've limited travel and we've, we've done more private coaches or private transportation. There, obviously, we'll have to take uh, planes, you know, depending on, on where we're going, but we've limited it to the point where it's less risky. And this, uh, the season-ending tournaments, that's still going to be in Edmonton, or has that changed? We have not announced that yet. We okay. are certainly working on it. We don't want to get away from it, so that's probably my best answer. And we just want to make sure that, you know, come late August, our hope is that there's going to be a little bit more of a return to normalcy, and we could put on an event that would be worthy of, you know, uh, having that identified as our championship weekend. Okay. Well, that's all good to hear. Mike Morreale from the CEBL joining us tonight on uh, Inside Sports, updating their plans for the league this summer. Of course, the Edmonton Stingers are the defending champions. Uh, when you guys had the, uh, I always call it the bubble tournament. I know you had a much better yeah. name for it than that, <laughs> but but they, they they won the they won the title. And when uh, you know, I got to go games to, to games the previous summer. I love the quality of the ball. I loved seeing some guys who I'd watched as U of A Golden Bears on the court. So uh, uh, I, I do hope it's something fans continue following and, and go to games when, the, when they can go. I, I should touch on you too. It's funny. I, I talked to Randy Ambrosi yesterday yep. and you're going to, you're going to love this given your history in the CFL. I said, I never thought that the weather in Hamilton on December 12th might be one of the most Googled things <laughs> in Canada. <laughs> But I did it too. I did it too. <laughs> Yo, you did too, eh? I did it too. It was actually a decent day last year. <laughs> yeah, I think the average is only like minus two or something. Now that yeah. is an average, so it could, yeah. <laughs> it could be below. You never know. You never know. <laughs> but uh, you know, again, I, I I should ask you. Uh, you you remain interested in the CFL, absolutely, obviously, and I'm sure you sympathize with everything they're going through. So, were you generally encouraged with with what you heard about the plans to proceed with 14 games? Well, yeah, I think you know the commitment is is what is really important, and and I kind of wear a bunch of different hats as I look at it as a fellow commissioner and a you know an ex PA president and an ex player and all this kind of stuff. So I'm, I am you know very interested in, in the CFL. So having that bit of positivity uh because lately it's been tough uh you know if you, you read the boards and the, the the tweets and all that stuff but i think establishing a, a timeline is important uh it's conditional as as all plans are and um you know my hope i'm a hamiltonian i was you know the ticat alumnus through and through i want to see a full stands you know december 12th in hamilton that would be ideal for everybody because that means that the world is getting back to some more normalcy that remains to be seen uh, my fingers are crossed i'm hopeful for it and, and i'm hopeful for the players sake that they can you know look at what's coming prepare accordingly and feel comfortable about returning and playing football again and because you know that would be tough i i know you know, uh, being a former player, that sense of camaraderie and the, and the, and the routine of doing this year in and year out uh, and the planning that goes into it, it doesn't really stop in the offseason. It can be mentally draining. So uh, fingers crossed that the, the CFL, CFL is successful to return and, and, and my fingers are, are crossed and, and waiting. Okay, now when you played in a cold weather game, 
did you bundle up or were you one of those guys no i gotta prove i'm tough and it's short sleeves even if it's minus 20. <laughs> i had no intentions of being cold i put on i always said you could always take clothes off you can't put clothes on so i i had no problem covering up everything i was watching by chance a, a replay of like a 90 90 1998 game it was cold in hamilton eastern final and uh, you know here i am full on sleeves and darren flutie's got bare arms and this and that I'm like not a chance i have no problem being a fair weather guy <laughs> that's uh that's awesome that's smart i think that's i think that's smart well mike we appreciate the update on the cbl look forward to talking about actual games as i am with a lot of leagues that are looking to get up and going again we appreciate the update and continued success with the league thank you for checking in oh my pleasure thanks for having me on all right, good update there from Mike Morreale, CEO and Commissioner of the Canadian Elite Basketball League, the Edmonton Stingers, the defending champions in that league. Jeremy from Glendon writing in from his palatial apartment inside the pierogi in Glendon. He says, hey, Reed, I'm not sure why we ever let Patrick Maroon go. I get he wanted to go home, but now with Tampa, he might as well come here, give him three mil for three years. He compliments McDavid, has proven before he can throw him down with almost anybody. That is Jeremy from Glendon. Remember the Edmonton Trappers? This is a great story. We have the guy who named the team 40 years ago. Amazing. Keith Wells, when we get back. minutes left in the first period Dubé and Toffoli the goal scorers Jonathan Druin not playing tonight for Montreal Predators up 2-0 on the Blackhawks after two Rangers beat the Flyers 4-1 three minutes left in the third in Buffalo Sabres leading Boston 5-3 Wild and Kings will face off at about half an hour Blue Jays up 5-3 on Tampa in the bottom of the eighth Practice for the Oilers today. Oscar Clefbaum, who of course is not practicing and not playing this season, spoke to the media. You can get more on what he said on globalnews.ca or 630ched.com. Dmitry Kulikov on the ice paired with Adam Larson. Jujar Kara practiced but left when the more uh, physical contact part of the practice started. He has not been cleared for contact. Zach Cassian not on the ice at all. And more update on him tomorrow, though Dave Tippett did say that he will likely be out a while. Oilers and Jets on Monday. Game starts at 7. Our coverage on 6.30. Ched will commence with the face-off show at 5.30. Okay, really looking forward to talking to this next guest. And i got to thank my uh, colleague and friend and frequent golf partner, Quinn Phillips, over at Global Television for suggesting that I get Keith Wells on Inside Sports. Keith, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Reed, thanks for um, having me. I appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you taking time to check in tonight. Uh, Quinn did a great story, and, and we're going to elaborate on that further. 40 years since you did something very significant in the history of Edmonton sports. You well, named yeah. the Edmonton Trappers. Now, is that, like, is that totally accurate to say you named the Trappers? Was there a help? Well, like, what, what's the story? 
Well, look, so so PCL coming to town, it was pretty exciting at the time, 40 years ago, and I can't even believe it's 40 years. But uh, 1980, 1981, when uh, Dennis Job and Milk Walchuk brought the team to Edmonton, they, they decided to have a name the team contest, uh, which is uh, kind of a typical thing. And I, I don't know, like, I mean, this is a slow news day if you're talking about this thing. But I guess, you know, it's been 40 years, so maybe there's some interest here. But uh, they had a name the team contest, and uh, Peter Pocklington was going to send the winner to the World Series. And so I thought as a 16-year-old kid growing up in St. Albert that uh, this would be a pretty cool thing to win. So uh, I ended up sending in 122 entries, and uh, 20 of them were uh, listed as trappers. And then I ended up winning the Name the Team contest and won a trip uh, to New York uh, to see the Yankees play. It turned out that they couldn't get World Series tickets, so they said, where do you want to go? And I said, well, I want to go and see the Yankees in, uh, in New York. So... They sent my family. So there it is. That, that's the story about the uh, Name the Team contest. Okay, so you, you sent in... So if you sent in 20 that said trappers, that means you sent in 102 that said other names. Yeah. What, do you remember some of the other names you suggested? Well, uh, you know, I think they were all the uh, the typical kind of uh, oil patch, um, you know, story it, nicknames from the, the time that would have been popular. You know, I think, I don't know, Drillers was uh, a thing yet. At, uh, that, well, yeah, I guess the Drillers would have been around then. But there were, there were things like that. Uh, you know, and again, um, uh, you know, I mean, there, there were some really bad ones. I remember Muskeg and things like that that didn't make any sense. But uh, Trappers was the best one. And again, the, the, the mea culpa here is that, uh, you know, so a couple of weeks prior to the uh, announcement of the name of the team contest, Terry Jones actually wrote in his column in the journal that he thought Trappers was the best name of the bunch because, you know, and again, it's a first baseman's glove and all of the history in Edmonton. And so I just, you know, quite frankly, I just I thought that made sense as well. So the truth of the matter is that, uh, you know, Terry Jones, he, he, he's the one that deserves the credit, but uh, I uh, luckily got the trip out of it as a 16-year-old. So I have really fond memories of that whole time, and that's the story behind uh, naming the team. So when they actually announced the name of the team, I assume there was a news conference or an event. How included were you in that? Well, it was fun. I remember it was uh, kind of a winter day and uh, at the uh, the West Inn in Edmonton. And so I went uh, downtown with my brother and a couple of friends from school. And we skipped school to uh, grade 11 to go downtown to see this thing. And, uh, you know, I distinctly remember all of the, you know, the Edmonton media being there, and I think it was it was sponsored by Labatt's at the time, and you know, and there was a there was a, a beautiful spread of food on like a Tuesday afternoon at, uh, at twelve o'clock, and all of the Edmonton media there were having a nice lunch and having a couple of uh, beers, and and I remember again just thinking to myself, now look at th- this is a pretty nice way to make a living, so I was really uh, impressed by that. And I thought that was pretty cool, and um, it kind of changed the uh, tra- trajectory of what uh, the business that I got into because I ended up uh, doing the sports, uh, you know, around uh, Western Canada for 20 years. So it it, uh, it had a big impact on me. Well, and I, and I do want to talk to you about that, but I just want to kind of wrap up the trappers angle. So once yeah. the team was named, did yeah. you did you go to a lot of games? Were you interested in the team, or was it just kind of like yeah. oh, I'm 16 and I named them and I'm <laughs> that's it? No, no, I I um I. I did more than that. I uh, I said, uh, look, is there a job? Is there something I can do? I want to really be involved here. So for the first couple of seasons, and again, Mel Kowalczyk was such a terrific guy and the whole uh, crew that they had down there, and uh, they needed a clubhouse attendant. And so I did that for a little while at the beginning of the first and second seasons. 
And uh, that was really fun to be down there um, in the bowels of uh, John Ducey and all of these teams coming in from around the PCL and a lot of, uh, you know, major leaguers at the time who were down. I remember, uh, you know, the, the L.A. Dodgers farm team in Albuquerque, the Dukes at the time had uh, Tommy Needenfuhr on the lineup and R- Oral Hershiser and Candy Maldonado and, you know, I mean, a lot of big names that were down there and uh, these guys rolling into Edmonton and they didn't have any idea where Edmonton is. They were way up here in the north and, um, you know, trying to help them in the clubhouse. But I only did that for a short period of time because, again, I was in grade 11 or 12 and uh, they wanted you down at the ballpark working until 2 or 3 in the uh, in the morning. So it ended up being a bit too much and I just couldn't do it anymore. But it was really a neat experience for a kid to uh, be working down there. And, um, yeah, it was a great time in general uh, as uh, Edmonton and baseball fans will fondly remember all of those early PCL days and uh, the great stretch that that team had. That's awesome. Uh, Keith Wells joining us tonight on Inside Sports with his tale from about 40 years ago of coming yeah. up with the name Edmonton Trappers for the old yeah. uh, AAA team in the Pacific Coast League. So then tell me about getting into your career in, in media and doing television. Where did that take you? Well, uh, you know, I worked uh, on and off uh, in Edmonton. I worked at ITV at the time and started at uh, CFRN doing the weekend sports. Al McCann was a bit of a mentor for me. But quite frankly, as you would know in this business, you got to put some time in. And I was really quite dreadful in the early days, uh, to be perfectly honest. Al McCann ended up uh, firing me, get a load of this, because he said I had wolf eyes. And I was doing the weekend sports at CFRN, and I was a bit terrified. And uh, Al said, yeah, i got to let you go. Uh, You've got wolf eyes. And so it was like, well, I've got what? You know, uh, wolf eyes. So I ended up going down to Lethbridge and working for a couple of years at 2 and 7 down there and then did sports at 11 in Calgary a bit and then came back to do the weekend sports at ITV and then uh, went out to the coast and have been out here ever since. But I ended up getting a bit better, and I worked at uh, Global BC at, uh, you know, BC TV for years doing the sports and uh, primarily here in uh, Victoria Tech TV. So, uh, you know, many years of doing the sports and uh, really quite a fun career that all uh, spun out of uh, that Edmonton Trappers media conference and the media standing around having a drink on a Tuesday. Did uh, and I mean, Mr. McCann unfortunately has uh, yeah. left us a few years ago. But did he ever yeah. tell you exactly what wolf eyes meant? Was well, it strictly he, yeah, an appearance he, 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 thing? The deer in the headlights kind of thing, and uh, just not uh, quite ready for prime time. And it was a difficult. I went to Nate in Edmonton, and it was a great program. And you know, trying to uh, you know all my peers, uh, Gordon Miller and those guys were, uh, you know, it was an easier transition for them getting into the larger market. And I just needed to spend more time in a smaller market, uh, you know, kicking things around a bit and getting more comfortable in my skin. But um, you know, I just jumped right into uh, doing the sports at uh, CFRN and at ITV, and wasn't ready for it. So. I I think he just meant that I was a little too terrified to uh, needed more seasoning. And, uh, you know, I certainly didn't hold it against him or anything. And looking back at it, I really did. And looking back at the old tapes, uh, Al, Al, uh, you know, Al McCann was exactly right. Okay, so uh, let people know where you are now and some of the things you're up. Because I was talking to Quinn this afternoon, and she said you gotta you got to tee him up for his, some of his current projects because you're doing some pretty important stuff, I understand. Well, you know what, from a sports standpoint, yeah, it is funny. Um, I, I get a kick out of this, um, you know, this kind of innovation thing. And in the sports world, it's what I've always done. But I started a company actually on your, your global um, website there. If you look and you see any, uh, or on the 630 chat website, uh, any of the sports highlights you see come from the company I started here in Victoria called Send to News. And believe it or not, we um, own the digital rights to every major league in North America, NFL, NBA, NHL, all of them. 
and we deliver about a billion videos a month to every newspaper.com in North America. So if you look at the highlights on uh, your 630 Ched website there, that video player is from a little company in Victoria. Oh, wow. How, sorry, how long have you been doing that? videos a month. That's about 10, 12 years we've been working on that. Oh, wow. That's yeah. amazing. So how much is this? So did you have the, the technical knowledge? Did you have the idea? Like, what was your involvement at the beginning? Yeah, so I was actually, you know, the genesis of that. Uh, you know, again, and it might, you find, might find it interesting being a media guy yourself. So I was working at the uh, in the newsroom in Victoria, Czech TV. And, um, you know, at the time, 10 or 12 years ago, it was kind of the advent of digital video. And, uh, you know, uh, I paid a lot of attention to the uh, compression and codecs and file transmission and all of that. And uh, the idea of moving around video and having the national sports organizations go overseas and send video back to me. So it was really kind of a selfish uh, starting point for this. But I developed a platform to make it easy for for, uh, organizations to move around video. And uh, we started looking at the different applications for this and landed on sports as being the right thing for this and uh, kicked around a bunch of different models. And then we got the American Hockey League as our first major client. And then that got us the PGA Tour and NASCAR. And then these guys still talk together. So that got us the National Football League, which got us uh, the NBA after that and then the NHL. And now sendtonews.com, we have the digital rights to 75 uh, worldwide leagues. And again, we deliver over 1 billion videos a month to 1,800 newspaper.coms in North America. So it's really kind of a cool thing that's developed and, uh, and uh, having an impact kind of on the, uh, on the, uh, the media landscape. So I'm proud of that. Can you spell out that website for everybody? Yeah, S-E-N-D-T-O-N-E-W-S, Send to News. And you'll uh, have a look at it there, and it has a look at uh, all of the different leagues that we have. And, uh, you know, I mean, the video player you see in the Edmonton Sun, the Edmonton uh, Journal, in the, uh, on the, uh, all of those papers, all of uh, the Global Newsroom uh, website there, it's all the video all comes from our company. Awesome stuff. Well, that's, yeah, that's cool, cool, Keith. Thanks for, thanks for filling us in. Let's, let's put a bow on this by kind of uh, finishing where we started. Yeah. And... I, I know you eventually left Edmonton, but so did the Edmonton Trappers. Uh, did that resonate with you when they, uh, what, Nolan Ryan bought them and moved them to Texas? Yeah, it did. Um, you know, I was disappointed that that happened. And I remember the time, you know, the Eskimos owned them, and it was too attractive for them to attempt to keep them. And I think they got $10 million U.S. million at the time, which was a really big deal for, uh, you know, any CFL team to be able to, uh, to uh, exchange that. And uh, it's just too bad that the Calgary Cannons left. And I was working in Vancouver uh, in the media there when the Vancouver Canadians left. And, you know, the PCL had a decent long-term kind of uh, visibility in Western Canada and that. But, you know, it all contracted. And it's too bad that that ended up being the way that it was. But uh, Edmonton, uh, the Trappers, it was a great nickname, a perfect nickname for the city. I still think that. I love the logo work that was done for it. And, uh, you know, who knows, maybe someday we'll get to, I, I know that, uh, you know, they, they, you got baseball, you got the, uh, that's going on down there uh, in the River Valley still once the season start going again. But higher level PCL baseball was really quite a thing now when it uh, was there. And, uh, and I really miss it. I really do. Keith, this was uh, an awesome interview. And I mean, uh, hey, we didn't have you on because it's a slow news day. We had you on because this is a great story and it's, uh, yeah, it's a nice way kind of to. Sure. 
Yeah, nice way to mark a, a cool anniversary for sure. Thanks yeah, for checking years. in. I'm sure we're going to talk again down the road. Really appreciate it, Keith. You bet, Reed. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. That is Keith Wells checking in. What a history. And as a 16-year-old, 40 years ago, he came up with the name Edmonton Trappers. I've also tweeted out the link to Quinn Phillips' story on globalnews.ca if you want to check that out. She did a really good job with Keith, too. Inside Sports on Ched, 749, back after the break. on the show the man who as a teenager named the Edmonton Trappers when they came to Edmonton joined the Pacific Coast League 40 years ago good stuff can also tell you today the CFL Players Association has named a former double E football team equipment manager Dwayne Mandrusiak as its equipment safety advisor so we wish Dwayne all the best in that venture and I'll look at the scoreboard here for you before we go. Blue Jays up 5-3 on Tampa Bay. That is in the bottom of the ninth with one out. So the Blue Jays trying to close that one out. Jays are 8-10 and 10 on the season coming in. After the first period now in Calgary, it's 2-2 between the Habs and the Flames. Toffoli his 23rd. Armia his 6th for Montreal. Dubé his 8th. Mangiapane his 13th scoring for Calgary tonight. Early in the third, Predators up 2-0 on the Blackhawks. Rangers have beaten the Flyers 4-1, and the Sabres outscore the Boston Bruins. Sorry about that. I had to sneeze. Uh, The Sabres outscored the Boston Bruins 6-4. Taylor Hall did score in that game for Boston, his fifth of the season, his third since he was traded from Buffalo to Boston. Okay, I hope I didn't get that sneeze on the air, Kellen. Did I turn my mic down in time? Uh, yeah, you turned it off and freaked me out. So, <laughs> oh, I was. Still uh, here. I thought we lost you. I was like, "That's not good." You're like, "Where did Reed go?" Uh, well, Reed. that's 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 kind of your dream, though, to have me suddenly. Uh, Reed, Reed was acting like the littlest hobo jumping on the train going uh, elsewhere. What was that movie where everybody that book where everybody suddenly disappeared? The Leftovers. I read that a couple years ago. I think Whoa, it was that leftovers. was a TV series too. I think. Yeah, they, it? I, it was. Yeah, but it was based on the book. I read the book. I never watched mm, the show. Okay. I finished The Expanse. By the way, I got to get into a new series. Ah. There it is. It's hobo time. Okay, Monday. Bob Stoffer will have Oilers now from noon to two. Face-off show will be at 5.30, game at 7, Oilers and Jets. Uh, keep it on my Twitter account or on the uh, 6.30 Shed newscast over the weekend to find out more about Cassian and possibly uh, what's going on with Ryan McLeod. Thanks to Dave Campbell. He's the producer of Inside Sports. Kellen Kennedy, your studio producer. My name's Reed. Have a great weekend. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.